What is up, everyone? This is Avery Smith, creator of Data Career Jumpstart and Snow Data Science, and welcome back to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that gives you, the data enthusiast, the tools you need to build an amazing data career, whether that's breaking into data science, landing a senior data position, or building a new data team or product, this podcast is here to help. What's up, everyone? Episode 15 here. Have a great episode for you. Really, 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 really excited. Um, it was an interview I did with Matt Sharp. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, go give him a follow. Matthew Sharp. Um, he's a current data engineer and M- at MX and a former data scientist at Intel and Micron. Um, he's also a data LinkedIn personality. Definitely someone you want to follow. Um, I really enjoy his content. He talks about careers, interviews, working with data. Um, I'm a big fan. Anyways, in this episode, we talk about Matt's journey from chemical engineering to working at Intel Micron and becoming a data scientist. And then after he became a data scientist, his transition into data engineering. We talk about the pros and cons of both roles and which one he likes more and why. And we also talk about the difference between big companies and small companies and how the different cultures change and how different personalities fit in different differently at these uh, different size organizations. Um, we, we define data engineering. We talk about what is data engineering and the importance of personal projects and doing projects to get noticed in the data sphere. And we also talk about how LinkedIn can be used to, become, to network within your company and be an intrapreneur, not an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, and a lot more. It's going to be a great episode. I had a lot of fun talking to him. Once again, Go give Matt Sharp a follow on LinkedIn, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview, and we'll get right to it after a short note from our sponsor. What's up, everyone? This is uh, Avery Smith on a, let's see, what night is it? This is a Thursday night at 8 p.m., and uh, I'm super excited. We have a great guest today on the Data Career Podcast. We have uh, Matthew Sharp. Matt, do you go by Matt or Matthew, I guess? Matt's fine. Just whatever is easier. <laughs> okay, sweet. Awesome. I'm really excited to have Matt. He's someone I've wanted to have on the podcast. Even, even when the podcast didn't exist yet, I had talked to Matt and I was like, hey, I want to do a podcast. I'd love to have you as a guest. That was like maybe January or February this year. And then it just took me a while to get to the podcast. But here we are. Matt's one of the first guests. Um, just a quick intro on Matt. Um, Matt is a chemical engineer, turned data scientist, turned data engineer. In his past life, he was a data scientist for I Am Flash, that's Intel and Micron uh, company. And now he is currently a data engineer at MX, an awesome innovative fintech company in Lehigh, Utah, which is really close to me. That's another thing is Matt's from Utah. I'm also from Utah. Uh, he's king of LinkedIn polls. I, I have proclaimed him that. And uh, he, in my opinion, he's one of the, the best and most underrated data people on LinkedIn. So welcome to the Data Career Podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, it, it's kind of freaky how somewhat similar um, our paths have been because we both started as chemical engineers and then moved into the data sphere. I guess, why did you choose chemical engineering in the first place? Um, because I was wanting punishment, I guess. <laughs> so I just always loved chemistry, and I was always really good at math. So I figured if I joined them together and became a chemical engineer, things would be like, I would just have fun. But uh, and don't get me wrong, like I loved the classes, and I met tons of awesome students and other things like that. Um, I was actually uh, the president of the AICHE organization at BYU. Oh, wow. So, um, uh, for those who don't know, AICHE is like a career chemical engineering club. It's actually the largest club at BYU. And oh, what? Um, other things people don't know is like the whole... BYU's career fair is completely put together at AACG. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so there's there's kind of a lot of perks that come from that history of AACG leading that. But yeah, no, it's, I, I was, I loved chemical engineering. Okay. 
So you, you like chemistry and math. You loved chemical engineering. You liked the classes. Um, then, then I guess what happened? If, if you liked it, well, why aren't you doing it now? What, what happened? So I guess, I guess the thing is, is, you know, once you get into industry, like you'll just never be as challenged as you are at school. Uh, you know, for the, for the most part, the problems you need to solve aren't, aren't really long math problems. Uh, they're kind of more just basic, um, you know, human problems and communication. And, you know, uh, I first started as a process engineer. And, uh, you, you learn the processes behind it, but um, for the most part, you know, you're just making small incremental improvements, running certain experiments and things like that. And so, you know, I just found myself uh, like always having small data problems. And so uh, like one of the things you'll see in industry is that, you know, you know, I was in semiconductor industry. And so like we had vendors that build these very complicated tools for us. And there's only a couple vendors, you know, for any individual tool. And generally you're gonna pick the one that has the best process, but not necessarily the one that has the best software. And so um, like uh, one, one of the pieces of software I worked with was a program called Clarity. And this thing was written maybe 20, 30 years ago and pretty much hasn't been updated since. And so uh, it, it was just a real struggle, very poor UX, uh, user experience and user interface. And so I just found myself building these small tools to slowly kind of automate, oh, I'm gonna pull data from here, I'm gonna pull data from here. And then all of a sudden, like it just kind of led to me building programs and software that uh, really required, you know, kind of automating what uh, engineer does, you know, a chemical engineer. And that's not necessarily, you know, a simple, you know, add, subtract. You know, I, I was quickly finding myself reaching towards uh, machine learning, especially when it came to processing images and, and other things like that. Oh, interesting. So you're doing, were you doing a decent amount of process or image processing there? Yeah, so um, I worked in the RDA department there. And so RDA stands for real-time defect analysis. And so uh, pretty much my entire job was looking at thousands of SEM images. Uh, so images of these defects, you know, at the micro scale. And so it was, yeah, so kind of processing, understanding the processes behind what might cause those certain type of defects, but yeah. Okay, that's pretty interesting. And I guess, I guess what year did you graduate? Um, I graduated in 2013. Okay, and then did you work for uh, I Am Flash right after that? Yeah, so I had an internship with them and got a full-time offer and went to work with them. Oh, so you had, a, you had an internship, I guess that would have been the summer of 2012? Yep, exactly. Dude, you know, you know what's so funny? Um, I was supposed to be an intern at I Am Flash in 2012. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, this is kind of a funny story. Um, like, I guess even from like my freshman year, it, um, we're, we're both from Utah. Matt went to BYU, which is, which is in Provo, Utah. And I went to the University of Utah, which is in Salt Lake City, Utah. And they're separated maybe by like 40 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, and but I mean, we're, 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 we're pretty close to each other. Like I grew up always going to BYU stuff. He's probably been to University of Utah stuff. Um, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty integrated schools in a lot of ways. Um, anyways, so I – and also Utah is not a huge market for chemical engineers. There is, there's a few refineries here, but there's just not a whole lot of chemical engineering jobs in Utah. So the, the, the pickings are, are pretty slim. Um, and so even my freshman year, I really wanted to work for I Am Flash. That was like my goal. I want to work for I Am Flash. I want to work for I Am Flash. Um, and they, they, my sophomore year, I, I think I came pretty close in the interview process. They like notoriously like only want juniors, right? Um, but my sophomore year, I got to go to dinner with them at the career fair and they were interested. 
didn't get it. Then my junior year, I ended up getting the internship. Um, but, but anyways, I accepted it and everything. Um, this is probably in like November. The career fair is probably like in October or something like that, right? I accepted it in November. And then I ended up getting an internship offer from Exxon in April. I ended up ditching Iron Flash. And I still feel bad t- to this day about it. Uh, but I was supposed to be there that summer. We would have been friends. Uh, we definitely would have met a lot earlier than we have now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so funny because, I mean, it's just funny how our how our lives could have could have changed, could have been a lot different. Um, I Am Flash doesn't even really exist anymore. That's another funny thing. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I left it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Yeah, you, you were kind of gone. For how, how many years have you been gone now from I Am Flash? Uh, so I left a year and a half ago. So I so I left right before I Am Flash was taken over by Micron. And okay. So I literally the only day I worked for Micron is when I turned in my badge. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, okay. And I guess, so now now you work for MX. Can you tell us a little bit about MX and what they do? Uh, so MX is kind of a leader in the fintech space. And really, we do so much. So it might just be easier to talk about what my team does. And so uh, my, my team is the data enhancement team. And so we work with uh, transactional data. So if you went to your bank statement um, and you were to look at the records, you can see that transactional data. Uh, You'll usually see like some big long stream kind of describing, okay, you know, you bought something from McDonald's and like it would have a bunch of weird numbers and X's and other things like that. Usually it's um, very kind of fluff data in there to have like an amount in there and other things like that. And so uh, a lot of what uh, my team does is, uh, uh, so what, so MX, we aggregate a lot of data. And so um, it, and we have like a personal finance management tool. And so, uh, but if, if you, if you want any to use any of your finance data, you, you need to hook it all up. And then kind of what our system does is we clean and categorize and um, just overall improve it. So we do things like we, so that big long McDonald's string just becomes McDonald's. Uh, we, one of the things I've been working a lot on is adding location data to that. So it won't just tell you McDonald's, it tells you it's this McDonald's at this location. Um, it would then categorize that as this is a fast food transaction. So then you can then go in and use the personal finance manager to say, oh, I want to set limits on how much I'm spending on fast food or other things like that. And so uh, a lot of what we're doing is helping the end user manage their finances and uh, to, to get better and become more financially strong. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I didn't realize... Like you said, MX does a lot of things. I didn't know MX did that. Um, it's have you ever heard of Mint from Intuit? Nope. Yeah, it sounds pretty similar to to Mint. Um, is 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 MX's product free or do, what does it cost? Uh, so MX, uh, we do business to business with. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so generally, the banks who do business with us offer these tools to them for free. Mm, I see. Yeah, so it's one way that banks stay competitive by having these ad- advocacy tools, is what they're called. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So it's it, you guys sell basically to banks, and then banks can offer it as a service to their their customers, one way or another. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. I did. I did want to say uh, hello to Joe. He's he's also another another Utah data guy. He said hello. Just want to say hi, Joe. He's, he's coming on the podcast later in June. I'm excited for that. Um, okay, so that's a little bit about what you did at I Am Flash, a little bit about what you did at MX. Um, and I guess I guess we didn't really talk about, um, I guess, when you got recruited or whatever, however you left I Am Flash and went to MX. 
Um, did you know you're going to be doing data engineering? Um, yeah, so I knew that I was making the switch. Uh, actually, when I was interviewing with uh, MX, they're like, you know, you're a data scientist now, and you know we could definitely use a lot of that experience, but it seems like you also have a lot of actual engineering experience, and you've built a lot of programs and done a lot of coding. You know, would you be interested in becoming a data engineer? And so, and and I was, and so I, I made the switch when I moved over to MX, and so um, I was actually. Um, I think by title, I was actually the first data engineer here at MX. And oh. so uh, it, it was definitely very interesting being the first of something at a company because I, I was given a lot of opportunities to kind of define my role and to help move MX in certain ways and directions that I might not get in, at other opportunities. So. Did did you did you get that experience at I am Flash? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess uh, how did you? What was the culture like at I am Flash? Like, how did you feel like that differs from what you kind of just described at MX? So, like, it's funny because I am Flash no longer exists, so I can talk bad about them as much as I want, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, who's going to get mad at you? None of them. None, the whole company doesn't exist anymore. I no, I, I talk about say, it. I talk about about Exxon, and they still exist. So, <laughs> no, I would say overall, like I'm Flash was actually a really good company. However, it is a larger company. Um, I mean, even though essentially it's just the one fab, it was a joint venture between Intel and Micron. They had. A lot of say and influence over the culture of Iron Flash, um, and so it ultimately it was just—it's a bigger company. You know, they kind of hire you to do something, and they expect you to do that thing. And I was always getting in trouble for doing other things. I—I <laughs> um, I tend to be a rebel. Uh, I tend, you know, when I see a the system is broken, I tend to want to fix the system instead of try to work within the system. And so um, generally it's always worked out for me just simply because I've been able to do that. You know, a lot of the, you know, programs and software I built at Iron Flash literally did save millions, right? And so, you know, there's always kind of a conflict of interest where a manager was always really happy with the work I did, but it wasn't what they asked me to do. So that can obviously, and I don't necessarily recommend people following my footsteps in this way. But Wait, why not? Uh, well, I meant it, it just led to conflict that didn't necessarily need to be there, right? So when, yeah, just. Did, uh, I mean, didn't it make a difference though? Didn't you save millions? <laughs> Yeah, and I made people's life happier and less stressful. And yeah, so you know, I, I don't regret my decisions, but there's definitely conflict there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I I found a very similar experience between working for VaporSense, which was the first company uh, I did data science for. Very small company, less than twenty employees. Um, I definitely wasn't the first data science hire there. Um, but I was the only data science person there for a while. Um, and then versus Exxon, which obviously is huge. And yeah, like you said, I felt like at a smaller company, I could do kind of like choose the direction. I had a lot more freedom. There's a lot more flexibility to kind of do cool things and take on cool projects versus at Exxon. They pretty much just hired me to be like a monkey and they're like, spin the wheel. Here you go. And like, I was going to say, I was about to say, good job. You're spinning the wheel. But I don't even feel like they ever really did that. Um, I, I had a hard time. Like, I don't feel like, and and like you said, like you would save the the company millions, and they're like, uh, uh, good, no, not good job, because you didn't do, you didn't spin the wheel. You gotta spin the wheel, Matt. Um, so I'm I'm glad you have that. You feel like you have that that freedom, at least a little bit more of that freedom 
at at MX. Um, what else? What else? Like, how else do you feel about like MX's culture? Um, compared to to I am Flash because it's a it's a different industry, right? Like I would yeah. say you're in fintech right now, and you used to be in like semiconductor manufacturing. What's the difference in the uh, in the culture? I, I would say there's a lot of differences. Um, I honestly think uh, like I love working for MX, and anyone who's interested definitely look into MX. Like we. Uh, it, this was just announced, but we were just awarded like Inc. Magazine's best places to work. So MX has constantly won, you know, best places to work awards in Utah. And uh, these last two years, we've won awards nationally for one of the best places to work. Um, it, and, and it really is like the people here are amazing, but, you know, also the yeah. amount of, uh, you know, I say that because I was the first data engineer, but it's true of every job. There's a lot of yeah opportunities sure. to learn and grow and just kind of move the company in, in the direction it needs to go and to have you know your voices heard and so things like that. It's I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome and yeah, like like you said, I've I've never worked there, but I've heard really good things about it. I saw your guys' VR headsets that they give you. Pretty jealous about that. Um, I, I think one thing I've noticed from, you know, going from an engineer to data scientist, I mean, there's data science, for instance, I was a data scientist at Exxon, but you definitely, as you go to these tech companies, there's definitely a different vibe than there is at some of these older, more traditional engineering manufacturing companies. Um, you just, you just don't have as many of the perks. Like I never got a VR set from Exxon Mobil, you know? They, they wanted to be workplace flexible, but they weren't really. Um, yeah. yeah just, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, right? Because when I was at Iron Flash, like one of those big perks is they had free fruit Thursday. And, oh. And then they ended up canceling it because it was too expensive because people were taking more than one banana or whatever. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. Then you go to one of these you know, kind of more millennial tech companies and they just have like open fridge and open pantries. And, you know, when I was in the office, there was literally a freezer full of ice cream right behind me that I could take as much as I want. And they were just oh, like, heck yeah. like, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's definitely different. And part of that is the industry difference, right? FinTech versus manufacturing. But uh, a lot of that comes down to a cultural difference as well. And, and even when I'm working at home, yeah, they, they sent us VR headsets so we could have this awesome virtual meeting, uh, which was amazing. And, and, and since then, we've ha continued to have like, team building exercises. Like actually right before this podcast, I was playing Beat Saber with my coworkers. So, Oh, wow. It's, yeah, so it's kind of funny that you mentioned <laughs> our, yeah. our VR headsets. So. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Um, Okay, so with, with this role you have at MX, you're now a, a data engineer. Um, and I'm actually going to take one step back. I'm going to talk a little bit more. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the transition from engineer to data scientist. What, like, I guess, what do you feel like worked out for you? Like, what went well? And what advice would you give to people who are transitioning into data science? Um, you know, I, I say this all the time, but everyone I see that's, effectively made the switch has done lots and lots of projects, um, data science projects. And so, um, you know, I had the opportunities to be able to work on these side projects at my work, which was beneficial. Um, and I think, you know, everyone works with data. Um, and, and so, you know, really that's something that anyone can do. Um, it, it's just, kind of takes a, a different mindset and frame of reference to start thinking like a data scientist. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was constantly being told, oh, we can never do this or we can never do that. And then just, I would go and do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like a lot of my projects I worked on, I were just, uh, 
it was like a side project that people started using and then I would convince my manager to give me more time to work on it full time. And uh, a lot of times these side projects, uh, like I remember one of my projects was, uh, you know, I, I took two weeks to build it, um, you know, at least the framework. And uh, once I started showing it to people and people started to use it, uh, you know, people were like, hey, you're, you just built something that this other guy's been working on for two years. You know, or like there's this whole other team and committee that's been trying to build it for two years. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you Oops. Know, just, it was like, oh, I guess I stepped on people's toes, but people like my tool, so I'm going to keep working on it. And and then, you know, after a while, you know, I had a ton of traction and they had none. So then, you know, my tool got adopted, you know, and so, uh, so yeah, I would just say, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you see someone else working on something. It doesn't matter uh, if you think something is impossible, like just just try it, like just go out. Like if, if you have, you know, especially if you can work on a problem that you personally face, you're gonna be so much better at trying to solve that problem. And so that that's most of all my, my main problems is, you know, I, I was just, I just wanted to pull this data easier, right? And so then I built a tool to pull it and then, you know, and then, okay, now I wanna analyze it now that I have the data. It just slowly would build on top of each other step by step. Yeah, okay, I liked, I liked a lot what you said there. Um, I, I liked the, the fact that you said, you know, everyone works with data, everyone. Everyone touches data one way or another, you know, if you guys go through, you know, an entire week without touching Excel, well then maybe, well, okay. I guess I go kind of maybe a week now without touching Excel, but you get the idea. Like, like people, they touch tables of, of numbers pretty often. And if they're not, maybe they should be, but you need to figure out how to change your mindset and look at those numbers differently. Cause you said you have to think like a data set, like it's like a data scientist. It's like almost a mindset versus a job title, right? I, I honestly believe that for sure. Like, uh, it's you know, you just you just got to get your hands dirty and, and mess with data and, and you know face the problems that that data has. And, you know, as as you, there are just certain things that everyone who's faced you know data will know. You know, like I, I just posted about it yesterday about you know like outliers, right? Like that was. One one of my first projects was how do how do I clean outliers or what are the different themes and so you know I I reprogrammed you know like Pierce's algorithm and Grub's algorithm and just all of these different you know outlier detectors and I ran it across a bunch of different data sets to get to understand how they work specifically with the data I was working with at at Iron Flash. You know, and so that and that and that gave me, you know, a whole new world of insights, you know, and then, you know, and then you can start, you know, and those are kind of common ones. And then you can start moving into maybe machine learning, like you can use k-means clustering to find out buyers and you can use, you know, other, a lot of other methods out there. And so, and anyways. Where, where where did you find all that stuff though? You're like, oh, I just learned that. Where, what what did you do to learn that? Uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, yeah, uh, honestly, it was just, you know, if you if you go to Wikipedia and look up outliers, you're gonna like throughout the uh, article, you're gonna find lots of different algorithms out there that learn it, and you can then go into those ones. Uh, if like the Pierce's criterion, uh, I, I remember specifically like they actually have the code written out in like Python and R, I believe, and so oh wow. I, I needed it in a language I was using like JSL, and so I reprogrammed or like programmed it in my own language and learned a ton that way, and so yeah. Um, I I'm gonna go on a, on a small tad tangent there. How awful is JSL on a scale of one to ten? Uh, I actually really love JSL. No, no. <laughs> you, Why? I, 
So I'm like a jump fanboy. Okay, I, I like jump too, but I don't like JSL. Let me let me just say that. No, like it's fine, completely fine. I understand. Um, so J, JSL is for those who don't know, it's the scripting language behind jump programming language. And so similar to how like VBA is for Excel. And so I, I actually, um, so I spent years like on jump forms, learning JSL and, and commenting on other people's and teaching them JSL. I'm, I would, when I left I am Flash, I was actually like one of 12 super users at Jump because of my contributions and teaching people how to use JSL. So, uh, I wonder, I, I wonder if you've commented on, on any of the questions I've posted in the community forum. Maybe I had, I had a couple, that's for sure. Where, where were you at the, um, at the Jump conference in 2019? You didn't get to go? Uh, I, I never, so like that was one of the things I didn't like about Iron Flash is like in order to like go to conferences, you had to be like an E5 or something way uh, up there yeah. to find you. And so uh, I just, yeah, so I've never been to a jump conference and most of that is just because I'm, I'm petty and so I didn't want to pay myself, but. Oh, it's uh, expensive, I, yeah. I, w I was constantly encouraged to, to go and. I spend a lot, you know, supporting kind of the jump community as well. But Still? Not not much anymore now that I no longer use it. I think I think that's a big problem with jump is that you know, it's it's expensive. So it's, Yeah. Um yeah, like Matt said, it's a product that's from SaaS, SAS. Um and it's like it honestly is really good. It makes visualization really easy with drag and drop. And it also makes like machine learning really easy with drag and drop. They use it at IM Flash and they also use it at, at Exxon Mobile. Um, but one seat, one license of jump for an individual user is like 2000 a year, which, which honestly could be worth it for, for some people. Um, but it's not worth it for me. I don't pay for it. Um, and they don't have any free version other than, other than if you're in school. So if you're in college and you're listening to this, um, check out, see if you have a, a free jump access. We did, we did it at, at university of Utah and at Georgia tech. Um, do, do you know if BYU has it? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Not yeah. Sure. It, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't use it while I was at the U. Um, but since then I've I found out we had access to it. That's, that's funny, man. I did meet, I did meet, there was only one person from I am flash there in 2019 when it was in Tucson. Um, I didn't, I didn't meet him. Um, okay. Sorry. That was just a little aside, side note. I, I do yeah. like jump. Yeah, no, I think honestly, if it wasn't expensive, I would, I would totally be pushing MX to get jump. I think I, I I definitely think like jump is a great program for people to learn about data, to learn about statistics, to learn about design of experiments, to learn about, like you said, machine learning, you know, it's just a couple click of the buttons and you can build, you know, a, a tree based machine learning algorithm. And so uh, a lot, lots of good stuff there. Do, do you think, do you think that's kind of the future of, of data professionals? So I'll give you an example. Um, we're seeing a bunch of, I mean, I would consider Jump, it's, it's mostly a statistical software. People have used it for stats for you know 30 years, just turned 30. Um, but, but now data science is coming out, machine learning is coming out, people are more excited about that. And I, I would almost call it a no-code machine learning platform, almost. Um, we're seeing more of those pop up. We have Ben Taylor, also a Utah data guy. He works for Data Robot. That's probably one of the biggest no-code machine learning platforms. I get like a LinkedIn message a day with some obscure company asking me to, if I'm interested in their no code machine learning platform. Um, is, is that where we're going to go is no code machine learning, no code data engineering? Like what, what, what do you see the future of, of data professionals being? I mean, people like when it comes to no code, um, like, like people have been stressing like no code websites forever, right? And you have tools like Wix and um, just 
you know, tons of blog tools to, you know, no code build websites. Um, and you can do a lot, like from e-commerce to blogs, et cetera. However, you know, all the companies that are really worth anything build their own tech stack, you know, and so, um, like, there's definitely a place for when it comes to, like, no-code machine learning. Um, but, you know, like, like it gets to a point, you know, when if you want to do something new, if you want to do something revolutionary, you're you're gonna get you're gonna have to get your hands dirty in code. Yeah, I I agree with you. I definitely I think I think looking to web development as an example is is the best thing to do because there is really good no code website building. But like you said, it's not like you know like ESPN or like Google, you know, are built on are built on Wix or Squarespace, right? Like they they have complex stuff going on. So of course, these no-code machine learning platforms are, go like for instance, I, I have a couple websites. I'm not good at building websites from scratch programmatically. So I use some of these, you know, these no-code solutions and they're awesome. They help me build websites, you know? I'm just a little fish. Um, and I think that's what it's going to do to give, you know, power to little fish. But I think, you know, like you said, if you wanna do something revolutionary, we got it. We got it. There, there will always be a need for data engineer and data scientists to programmatically innovate one way or another. So yeah. I, I think, I think we're on the same page there. Um, okay. So let's, let's move a little bit to, to your LinkedIn um, headline. I think it says recovering data scientists, right? Yeah. T tell me what that's all about. Like data science or data engineering, choose one. I'm definitely going to choose data engineering. Um, okay. Why? Yeah, I guess, you know, as far as that title goes, Recovering Data Scientist, I think, like, there was, you know, a big shift in my mind between, you know, I used to look out at everyone doing all these cool projects and just being super jealous. It was like, oh, I want to work on that, you know, no matter how cool the current project I was working on. You, know, you you can always see these cool data science projects out there, you know, you know, from building bots to you know beat Starcraft or Go or you know whatever like you know to you know self driving cars or you know there's always very fascinating problems and there's definitely kind of this you know thought especially among younger data scientists, data analysts, et cetera, where, you know, they just want to build really cool stuff. And, you know, there was, you know, when, when I started moving towards data engineering, you know, you're working on a lot more boring problems, to be honest. Like, it's not as cool. Uh, however, the stuff you're doing is a lot more valuable. And, and so there was just this shift in mindset of, oh, I want to build cool stuff. I want to provide a lot of value to my company or, or you know, for, for MX, you know, we're, we're providing a lot of value to, you know, the end users, to people who are trying to become more financially strong. And so there's, you know, uh, just a lot more value to the world in general. And so, and so that was kind of my shift in thinking. And uh, I would say a, a lot of my skill sets uh, kind of proved better in data engineering. You know, I was always trying to ha harness my craft and become better at programming. And, um, you know, as a data engineer, you're going to be programming a lot more as a data scientist. Um, but I still feel pretty flexible. I think I could, you know, I I'm often helping my data scientists at MX, you know, with, with their different machine learning problems. Um, and so I, I still feel pretty flexible, but there's definitely a, a shift between, as a data scientist, I'd be doing a lot more statistics and kind of experiments. And as a data engineer, I'm definitely doing a lot of more infrastructure and uh, programming in general. So. Yeah, I think, I just think about you like a couple of years down the road and just think about how well-rounded you're going to be. I mean, oh my gosh, like you have the data science background and then you're getting this really good data engineering background. I mean, you could go either way and the experience you've had in the past would be so useful um, 
and either way, because like you said, you know, data data engineers aren't necessarily good data scientists, and good data scientists aren't necessarily good data engineers. Um, but I think when you've you've kind of gone and straddled both sides, it's going to be really helpful to you. Um, I do agree with you, by the way, that that data engineering is like the more mundane, boring tasks. Um, I think that's true. That's why I will never be a data engineer a day of my life. Um, but but like you, I think you brought up a good point that like data scientists are often like kind of like always chasing the newest, flashiest sports car, right? Like in terms of projects, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. And you're just trying to do it fast and bring value. But you often don't like put down that foundation that like is going to make the sports car like last for years and work like correctly and like smooth. Like a lot of my projects, they work, but like the car sounds like it's like stuck in like first gear the whole time. It's like, it's going forward and it's going fast, but it's like losing bolts and nuts on the way. And like, we have to patch it as we go. And I feel like, I feel like that's what a data engineer's job is basically like, okay, slow down. Like, let's have a structured pipeline for this. Like you're like put more of a foundation. Would you, would you say that analogy is true? Yeah, I would, you know, a, a lot of what I stress to our data scientists is, you know, let's, let's make sure that, you know, your model is repeatable, like we can rebuild it, like you can, you know, really understand it, you know, uh, and I think, you know, it, it's really not that much work, more work to kind of go that extra step to turn your running car into something that's more stable and more you know reliable but uh it's definitely something that i feel a lot of data scientists kind of uh try you know skip over <laughs> you know they're, they're moving on to the next problem a little bit too too quick <laughs> yeah i i agree um okay with that um let's talk about let's talk about linkedin okay Okay. You're you you. How often do you post on LinkedIn? Um. So I try to post every workday, so at least once Monday through Friday. So, okay. Why? Uh. I I guess you know there's a lot of different reasons why. Um. Part of it is you know I, I want to give back. Uh, you know I I've been. I was a browser of LinkedIn for years, you know. I learned a lot from from people like Ben Taylor and, and Joe Reeves, who, you know, always were making great posts and were local. And I met them at meetups, etc. Um, and, and so, you know, and so I, I want to give back those things I learned to other people. Uh, the other aspect is, is you know, I, I posted on LinkedIn a few times, and then. You know, they, they tell you kind of who saw your posts, and it showed me like almost everyone was like from either I'm Flash or MX, right? <laughs> and so it's just like, oh, you know, like this is, you know, whenever I post, the most people who, who you know, when I was first starting, especially were, were people in, in my own company. And, and so, you know, one of the things you'll find in, in any job is kind of, Kind of get a little siloed a little bit by who you interact with at work. You, I mean, you're going to know your team a lot better than other teams around you, and you know, the further away in the organization someone is, the less influence you have over them. So, you know, I I don't know if I have a whole lot of influence in sales at MX or in HR or in the C-suite, you know, and so posting on LinkedIn gives me a way for those people to see some of the things I'm talking about and to have a greater influence over, over LinkedIn. And uh, ever since I've been posting, uh, you know, I, I've always been surprised, you know, because a lot of what I post, um, I kind of post, you know, like if me and a data scientist are having a conversation, something's interesting, you know, like that, that is something I, I like to post about. And so like, so my posts tend to, tend to be kind of, a sneak peek behind the curtain for for those who want to know what like real data engineers and data scientists try to 
to solve. And, and that's why I think even though, so like I don't necessarily get a whole lot of new people or like new analysts or, or scientists really gravitating towards my content. However, I do see a lot of more senior people gravi gravitating to my content. And so, um, anyway, so, so that's a large part of why I post on LinkedIn is to kind of give that influence. It's it's such an underrated, uh, it's such an underrated version of networking. People are always like, "I'm networking for my external, you know, find my next job, find people, you know, work at Amazon or Tesla or something like that." But what you talked about was more like internal networking, networking within people inside your company that like you've never really talked to, you know, but you have this thing in common that you both work for MX. And it gives you exposure to them and uh, exposure to you, you know? Um, I think that's that's so interesting. And that can be really powerful. I mean, I don't know about MX, but ExxonMobil was always like, bring down the silos, like tear down the walls of like your team and like get out and talk to other people and a bunch of other like crap that it's nice to say they didn't ever like really do that much to do it, right? And LinkedIn is a way you tear down the silos because there's like... There's some like arbitrary algorithm that's like divvying up posts left and right. And we don't really like, you know, Matt, you don't decide who that, that note goes out to, you know, it can be seen by, you know, the lowest people at MX or the highest people at MX. You have no idea and you don't have like any say in it. And so I think it really does kind of like democratize speaking within a company, which is so weird because you never think about like LinkedIn internally inside of a company. So I think I think that's a really interesting point. Have you have you had experiences at MX where like someone comes up to you and like, oh yeah, I've seen your LinkedIn posts? Uh yeah. I mean I've actually had that both in MX and at other places. Uh, you know, where people are like, Oh, hey, I saw your post. I thought it was really interesting. Or, you know, you go across and someone's talking about your post or or not necessarily about your post, but about the topic. And, and so, and, and, you, and you realize that, yeah, you know, what you're talking about has, has an influence and is able to help other people. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I do like to post, you know, kind of interview tips, both from like interviewee and interviewer uh, side of it. And, you know, that was something that really helped me gravitate towards, you know, like HR recruiters here at MX and, they, they've taken notice, and so I've been able to come better friends with them, and and now they like to set me up in interviews whenever they can, which is great because I love giving interviews and um, and and kind of meeting people, um, and uh, you know, and so there, there's definitely uh, posting on LinkedIn has has been beneficial, beneficial, um, you know my. When I was younger, I had a brother-in-law who, who taught me, you know, like there's entrepreneurs, but then there's also entrepreneurs. And, and you know, posting on LinkedIn, I think, helps me as an entrepreneur, you know, someone who's trying to make, uh, you know, have more influence and to, you know, you know, grow MX as well as grow my own career. So that, that's great. awesome. I, I think that's a very unique take, very, very refreshing take. Um, okay, last question um, uh, here. And we should have we should have done this at the beginning, but I, I want to end on this just because we'll, we'll tease it. We'll tease it to the people, and we'll say you have to watch to the end if you want to if you want to see this. Um, data engineering is something that's new. Has the word data in it, and has the word engineering in it. Those are like two different things. Um, in like thirty seconds or less, tell the people. What, what data engineering is? Because there's probably a lot of people who don't know. Oh man, thirty seconds or less. <laughs> yeah, time fast. Got be quick. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's ever okay. Two minutes. It's definitely different. Um, you know, I, you know, it, it's everything that comes with kind of the automation of of data. I, I think is my thirty second or one sentence aspect of it. So a lot of what I do is build machine learning pipelines, um, you know, working specifically with data scientists. Uh, at, at other companies, this might be called a machine learning engineer. Um, 
you know, I, I have coworkers who spend a lot of time, uh, you know, with data engineering title that spend a lot of time building data pipelines, ETLs, uh, working with data warehouses. Um, you know, they're more concerned with moving data and storing data. Um, you know, it's, you know, kind of one of the ways I often say is, you know, like data scientists are always working in a vertical, right? Like they're pro, you know, they're worried about problems like fraud or self-driving car or, you know, just like one specific problem, you know, and that's, and the data around that while engineering is much more lateral. You know, we want to build things that solve, you know, tools and that solve the problems for not just, you know, for fraud as well as, you know, for self-driving cars, as well as for, you know, you know, the image detection, you know, whatever may be, right? So um, that's kind of how I see it. I think, I think that's a great answer. Um, and I think, I think people will appreciate that. Um, well, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been super fun to get to know you. We've never talked. Uh, I, I'm going to call this face-to-face. -face, uh, it's, it's the new normal face-to-face, -face, I guess. We've never talked face-to-face, -face, although we've interacted quite a bit on LinkedIn. It's, it's good to, to meet you, I guess. Um, and yeah, hopefully once all this pandemic stuff is over and it, it looks like it's coming to an end, we'll go, we'll go hang out in uh, Lehigh and do something sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to grab lunch for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. This is this is Matt Sharp. Um, go connect with them on LinkedIn. If you're not connected with him, um, go go follow his posts. He has really interesting things, like he said, about data, about interviewing, about careers, about resume. Um, go 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 give him a follow. Um, Matt, anything anything you want to say to the people before we go? Uh, just uh, thanks for having me. I hope you were able to learn something. And I'm. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I I don't generally reject any connection requests. So there you go. You heard it from the source himself, Matt. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And thank you everyone who was watching. I know we had Joe, Mary, Robert, Stefan, and LinkedIn user whose name I can't see. But thank you guys for watching. Um, and yeah, until next time, see y'all later. Bye-bye. All right.